I just need to tell you folks that I really enjoyed all that stuff he said. I just want to be honest, and uh, I, I might have enjoyed it too much. Thank you, Brother Wyatt. It's such a wonderful blessing to be in New Jersey. I feel something when I fly into New Jersey, and it's not uh, jet lag, and it's not anything negative, but I really feel revival here. I feel it in my spirit. I, you know what I'm talking about? Now, I can't admit that I've reached that place, but my grandmother used to tell me it's going to rain. And I'd look outside and I'd say, Grandma, I think, I think you're going to be wrong about this one. She goes, no, I feel it in my you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what that was. I don't know if it's age, arthritis. Now we're going into confession again. But I feel that, and pastors feel that, and the saints of God feel that in this end time. We feel something in our spirit that God is about to pour out rain like we have never seen before. You look outside, you may not see one cloud, but I feel it. I feel it in my spirit. Amen. Brother Evanson, I'm so glad that you have been delivered. Yes, it's great to hear those wonderful announcements tonight that you can enjoy this this evening, not have to worry about writing a check for somebody. And uh, we're so glad to be with you again. And then your new... District Secretary, where did, yes, Brother Hendricks, what a blessing it is to hear of these wonderful things. Don't believe a thing he says about serving in that capacity. It's going to be a great blessing because wherever God calls you, it's wonderful. And uh, then to meet, uh, I look forward to meeting your district superintendent here uh, after the service. Uh, Feel the spirit of revival in his words and a, a hunger for great things. He could be doing anything. He's a very busy man, I'm sure. could be across this district in any other capacity, serving, doing something, getting work done. But he's chosen to be here where we're talking about growth. And and uh, that ought to say something to you about your district superintendent. I give you honor, Brother Ramsey. I look forward to meeting you. Amen. And uh, Sister White, where are you? Sister, good to see you again. Yes, and I give you honor. I, I look forward to seeing your husband. We're going to be with you guys on Saturday morning, I believe. And uh, congratulations on your your newly elected position of of minister of the gospel. You've been doing that long before you had a license. The license doesn't mean anything, but you owe money now. That's what that means. And uh, to our friends, brother and sister Wyatt, uh, these are great people. Uh, Brother Ramsey, they really do represent you well on the, on the national level. Uh, that's why they pull Brother Wyatt into many committees and uh, subcommittees, etc., because of his uh, great capacity to think outside the box and his desire to grow. And you just want to be around this kind of guy. He and his wife are people that uh, you don't have to put on anything. You can just be yourself and they will be be just just so genuine and uh, I appreciate people like that. We love them very deeply and to be invited back here 
it is a great honor. Amen. Amen. We give honor to the Wyatts. And I can't wait to hear when you own this building. It's going to be wonderful. Praise God. And uh, I'm glad to have my wife with me. We, we, uh, we don't travel a lot together, but now we're starting to be invited together places. And it's not going to be a lot. Uh, she used to come with me. Now we're coming together. Now I'm probably going to enter a time where I'm going to go with her. And, uh, but uh, we're very honored to be with you. And this church growth stuff and this raising up a church. And let me tell you, it's not for sissies. Amen. Amen. You better put your big boy pants on if you want to grow a church and uh, make up your mind because you're going to make a devil very mad and uh, stir up those things. And to the saints of Christ-centered church, I bring you greetings from the land that flows with crawfish and gumbo. Amen. Lafayette, Louisiana. Forty more miles south and you'll be in the Gulf of Mexico. That's how far down there we are. We get all of your water down there. You flow, everything flows down there to where we are. What a great day this is. One more time, could you stand with me? I'm just going to read uh, a text that is going to tell a story about where we're going tonight. And, uh, and I really do believe that this is, this is ordained of God for, for the church. I look forward to uh, Karen and I ministering in the, uh, in the next four days uh, across the district. Uh, tomorrow night it's going to be a, a revival night. Uh, tomorrow night I'm I feel something that God has given me about about New Jersey. I feel that there is going to be a great revival and an outpouring, and I'm going to talk about that tomorrow night. And Saturday we're going to talk about church growth. We're just going to pull out the nuts and bolts and and talk about those things Saturday morning. Then Sunday morning I'll be back with you guys, and we're going to see people get the Holy Ghost. And uh, and be filled with the Spirit and baptized in His name. People are going to be refilled in this house. It's going to be a wonderful time. You're going to put out some more chairs, I'm sure. You place you people pack this place out on Sunday already. It's going to be a great time. Then Sunday night we're going to be out in Trenton Falls. Is that correct? Trenton, Trenton. Okay, we're near Trenton, not far from Trenton. So we're just going to fall north in Trenton Falls. All right. Yeah, if I knew what I was talking about, I'd be a dangerous man. And that night, we're going to be with uh, the wonderful folks there in the northern part of your state. It's going to be a great time. So we're honored that we would be invited to, to share with you. And, uh, but we're in the same church, and I'm excited to uh, see what God is doing in his kingdom. Luke chapter 10 is where we're looking tonight. Luke chapter 10. And uh, I'm going to read... Uh, Uh, Seven verses, beginning in verse 30. Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke is in the New Testament. If you are having trouble finding Luke, it's been a long time since you've been to church. Amen. But it's okay. We're going to wait until you get there. Or you can look at this screen. They have cheat screens nowadays. You don't have to bring a Bible to church. But that's okay. You can look up there if you want to. Some Bibles look like this now. And if you've got your app on your Bible, listen, I wouldn't leave home with either, either, without either a hard copy or an app. I wouldn't go anywhere without the Word. I'd put it in my car. I'd put it in my house. I'd put it in my office. I'd put it everywhere. If you ride a bike, put it in your, uh, tape it to your bike. Do what you've got to do, but get the Word with you. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves 
which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. That was a religious man. Then likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and he passed by on the other side. There's another religious man. Here's a man that's not even supposed to stop. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he, was, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Which now of these, thinkest thou, Jesus asked his disciples, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? In other words, which one of these do you think did the right thing? And, of course, we always talk about the good Samaritan. That's the phraseology that came out of this setting. Okay, so we're going to to talk tonight for just a little while on this subject, giving what you've been given. Brother White, I'm glad to see you back there. I didn't see you a moment ago. God bless you, my friend. Giving what you've been given. Lord, keep your hands up on us tonight, and we ask you to open up your word. You know that, Lord, we have a desire to see great things happen in your kingdom. Give us a deeper understanding about how to make those things happen and position ourselves to see the greatest outpouring of your spirit within our churches and in our lives. In your precious and powerful name, we pray. And everybody said in Jesus' name, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. When you look at this parable in the Word of God, you're going to find three attitudes. Everybody say three attitudes. You have the attitude of the thieves. The attitude of the thieves says what's yours also belongs to me, and I'm going to take it. If you aren't willing to give it to me, I'm still going to take it. Then you have the attitude of the priest and the Levite. Their attitude said... What is mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Then you had the third attitude, which is the attitude of the Samaritan. His attitude was, what is mine is thine, and I'm going to share it. What is mine is thine, and I'm going to give it. I'm not here for myself, but I understand there's a higher purpose. And whether you want to accept this or not, these three attitudes will determine all of your successes or failures in the kingdom of God. You'll either have the spirit of a thief that says everything I can get my hands on, I'm going to take it, even if it belongs to somebody else. Or you'll have the attitude of the priest and the Levite, which says what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Or you'll have the attitude of the Samaritan. It says I am the recipient of great blessings And I understand that I cannot keep these blessings to myself. You show me a growing church, and I'll show you a group of people who are giving what they have been given. 
If you ever get that attitude of giving what you've been given, God is going to pour into your life blessings that you could never contain in your lifetime. Amen. We need to go back to the foundational structure of what God built His church on. God's intent was very emphatic. He did not start His church as a denomination, but His total purpose was to plunder hell and to populate heaven. I'm about to give you the reason you were put on this earth. And I, you're in a college, uh, college zone here. This is, there's colleges dotting your highways all the way to New York City, college after college. And you know what many people are searching for in college? They're searching for the purpose of life. They'll change their, their majors three, four, five times because they want purpose. They want to find why are they on this earth. I, should I be planted on this earth to be a nurse? Am I planted on this earth to sell insurance? Am, am I planted on this earth to, to be a volunteer? What am I here for? People are looking for purpose. Well, let me tell you, you can take this tape tonight uh, from this place and you can say, look, uh, you're searching for purpose. I found your purpose right here. Here it is. The Lord put you in this earth to win somebody. Amen. He put you in here to reach somebody. He put you on this earth to affect the life of somebody else. He didn't put you here to be isolated and live as an island unto yourself. He put you here to reach somebody that's fallen by the side of the road. Can you say amen? God's trying to arouse and stir in this selfish and evil generation of people who've been set on fire by the Holy Ghost. Amen? He wants you to be empowered by His glorious name and His plan. And when you take on that name in baptism, amen, power is injected into your spirit and into your life. Hear me, this is the last days, amen. And in these last days, God is going to give those who hunger after Him power. That's what He said. A spirit that knows no boundaries. A spirit that knows no limitations. It will be a spirit of whatever it takes to accomplish the will of God in my life. That's what I'm going to do. It will be a spirit of whatever it takes. No reservations, no reserves, nothing held back. That spirit propelled the early church. When you study the early church, you, you won't find them riding on positions and titles. They weren't carried uh, by their place in society. They weren't motivated by those things. But the early church had the power they had because they said, I will hold nothing back. You won't find the early church marching at a half of a beat. You won't find them half-hearted without passion. But they said, if it's a soul, I'll drain all of the ocean with a thimble if I have to, to reach that soul. It doesn't matter what I have to do. If it means giving out what I've been given, I'm willing to do it. Amen. The spirit that propelled the early church was not just doctrine. Now, I'm a man of doctrine. I love doctrine. I, I love the things that the apostolic church has, has in its heart and in its passions and in its core values. I, I love this apostolic doctrine. I believe it's the right way, and I believe it's the only way. When you say the word truth, all of a sudden you cut everything out but one thing. 
It doesn't mean there's ten truths. I don't like this society's verbiage when it talks about religion that all roads lead to God. That is not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I believe He's given us that truth. We're, we're, we don't need to be so, so naive to believe that we are, have a corner on the market of truth. Amen. I believe it like the, like the Lord told the prophet. He said, Hey man, I got 400 over there you don't even know about that are living this life and loving me and serving me. I believe there are many that are doing this and they don't just have UPC following the end of their name. And I love the United Pentecostal Church. That's why I'm a part of it. I believe it's the best thing going. But this doctrine, this apostolic doctrine of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in other tongues, I believe that is the apostolic doctrine of salvation. And I believe there's one God. Let's just settle that. Amen. And His name isn't Buddha. His name isn't Muhammad. His name isn't Krishna. His name is... Amen. What what a wonderful gift we have to know this beautiful truth that we serve the Lord and He is one. Amen. Doctrine, though, is not what propelled the early church. It was not their holiness that propelled them. If you look into Scripture, you'll not find them talking a lot about holiness in the book of Acts. Although I do believe they lived holy lives. Because when I get to the epistles, I find that the teaching comes out of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John. And and, uh, all of a sudden you began to see Timothy and these great writers, these people, all of a sudden flood, amen, the Scriptures with teaching on how to live for God. And so I do believe in holiness. I I believe in standing. Standards, and I believe in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I believe without lines, things just fall apart. You can't be in love with the world and in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. But it was not their standards and it was not their holiness that caused them to grow. It was not the standards, it was not their holiness that caused the power of God to break out in their midst. But the reason the early church grew the way they did when they started with 120, then added 3,000 that next day, and they later added 5,000, and then the Bible talks about multitudes, which means a remarkably large number of disciples. That's biblical growth. Growth doesn't only come through doctrine. Growth doesn't only come through standards. But the reason a church grows is because the power of the Holy Ghost in every member is not hidden but it's given. Amen. Praise God. It's the power to be a witness. When Jesus looks at his disciples, he says, you're going to receive power. Amen. And they were, they were probably thinking, oh, power to understand great revelatory doctrine. But that's not what Jesus said. You're going to receive power. Oh, power. Amen. To, to know the depths of holiness and purity. And, and I believe there was a hunger there to be like Jesus. Amen. Because he said to look at me. He said, you need to become like me. And there was a hunger for that. But that's not what Jesus told them they were going to be empowered for. He said, you're going to be empowered to 
be witnesses unto me. That's why you're going to have the power. And I often tell people, if you are not supposed to be a witness, right when you receive the Holy Ghost and you're baptized in Jesus' name, Jesus, right there, Jesus would take you to heaven if there was not a purpose for your life to give out what you've been given. Would you look at your neighbor and say, give it out, you got too much. Amen. The power to be a witness. It's sad to say, but there are some who claim to be saved who never tell anybody about the Savior. They have the spirit of the priest and the Levite. They have it, and they keep it to themselves. That priest and Levite walked by the person in need, but they never stopped. They just passed by on the other side of the road, Scripture says, because they didn't want to to anything to do with anybody else. It was all about them. In fact, they were a part, you might have heard about this club, but they were a part of the Churches About Me club. That's right. Preach it to me. Sing it to me. Stir me. Bless me. Help me. Pray for me. Love me. Give me more. What about me? Open the door for me. Give me a seat. Usher me in. Be sweet to me. Smile to me. Shake my hand. It's the Churches for Me Club. But if you're going to be a part of God's end time growing church, it's going to take some people who go out of the way and stop to talk to a person in need who probably can't give you anything. Amen. And tell them what God has done for you. Would somebody say amen? Amen. I wish some of you would get tired of just seeing how much God you can feel. I wish you'd get tired of how much you can shout and seeing how what kind of praise we can put forth in a service and how much you can keep what you've got and get the spirit of that Samaritan on you to give out what God has given you. Praise God. Jesus was tortured on a cross. We try to put up a pretty picture where his head is neatly bowed and cover him nicely and maybe fade out the picture so we can't see any of the wounds that would be offensive, but that's not what Calvary was like. Jesus had his hands run through with spikes. He felt pain so great that you and I could not imagine what pain he went through. My Lord and Savior was brutally and maliciously beaten. He carried the weight of every sin. Perhaps that was the greatest pain of all. He felt what every sin felt like. For he carried every sin upon his own shoulders on the cross. Do you think he did all of that so we could come here and sit in a church and say, Look, we're saved. Look, I got my ticket. You do think he, God forbid. He did all of that so that we would realize there's a purpose for die, worth dying for. And there's a love worth telling others about. Amen. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. The Greek word for witnesses here in this verse is martus. Martus is where we get the word martyr. It's somebody who dies for a cause. And that's what we're doing here. We've died out to self. That's what a church is all about. Amen. Now, I don't want to offend anybody that's new in here. 
Amen. And you haven't learned what church is really all about. We make it many times look like it's about clapping and feeling better and smiling and leaving here feeling like we're a better person just because of the church. And you know what? We are. But that's not the purpose of the church. Amen. The purpose of the church is that we're dying out to self because there's a greater cause than ours. Amen. We've died out to the spirit of it's all about me. Amen. We've died out to the spirit of I'm going to keep what's mine. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Him. Amen. And that's what a witness is. It's somebody who has died out to the, to, to things that stop them from telling anybody and everybody about what God has done for you. Amen. About the one who saved you, delivered you, and empowered your life. Amen. Jesus, brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. Do you understand that we're going to stand before Almighty God and we're going to give an account, the Bible says. We've got to get the spirit of the Samaritan and give what we've got. We do not well if we do not tell. If we go, we'll grow. If we'll weep, we'll reap. Here are some reasons why people are not witnessing. I want to give this, these reasons to you. Number one, one reason people do not witness is because they really don't have the assurance that they're where they need to be themselves. And as a pastor, I haven't pastored as long as many, but coming up on 23 years, I've seen a few things. And being in full-time ministry since 1984, that's a long time, in full-time ministry, in churches, on leadership staffs, I've seen a lot of things, and I've heard people give me this excuse that I'm not really where I need to be, and when I get there, then I'm going to start witnessing. And they say that for years. I'm talking about people who don't have a, a, a full assurance that they're really saved. And you tell yourself, I can't help others if I still need help. Let me tell you, any of us could use that excuse because all of us, need help at some time or another. There's a thorn in every one of us that we are dealing with that God may not remove and we have to go to prayer. We need support and we need encouragement about it. And we need help from the church and support from the people of God. And if it were for us needing help would be an excuse for not going out. None of us would ever go out. Amen. And as long as you feel that way, you will never venture out into the arena of God's full power in your life. Amen. You've got to get an assurance in your own life about where God is, has brought you from and where you are today. Because your convincing level will never be greater than your commitment level. You've got to commit some things to God. Put it under the blood and then get beyond it. Amen. Did you repent of your sins? Did you get baptized in Jesus' name? Did you speak in tongues when the Holy Ghost came? Are you trying to live a life worthy, amen, living for God as the Bible teaches? Then you need to get it in your mind and get it in your heart that you receive the fullness of God's promise and you are saved. Some people are taught that they're not going to know if they're saved until the rapture takes place or until they die. I beg to differ. 
Paul said many times, amen, that he rejoiced in his salvation. He knew, amen, that God had touched him and delivered him and empowered him with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And it would be an adversary's greatest trick to defang you and to pull your power out. Amen. By telling you that you are not saved. Or that you're still trying to make your way into the kingdom. And so you're trying to think in those terms and you could be dis, dis, uh, you could be placed on the side of being used for God for years with that mentality. It's not the will of God for you to walk around scared and bewildered about your salvation. Amen. But it is the devil's will for you to do that. And because you slipped last year or last month, Even though you repented, the devil will make you care around guilt and condemnation so that you will be an ineffective witness. You need to realize tonight. You need to settle it tonight. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. That's why we have the Word of God. You know why you have the Word of God is to tell you this tells you you're saved. This is the thing that settles it all for you. You tell The Word of God tells you that when you have repented of your sins, you've been baptized in His name and filled with the Spirit, speaking in that heavenly language, and you are moving forward with your church and your pastor and the teaching of the Word of God. You are a saved person. Amen. And now you need to take that truth to somebody else. Don't let the adversary make that an excuse in your life that I'm not sure. Amen. How long are you not going to be sure if you've done what the Word says? Praise God. The next thing that hinders our witness is a fear of rejection. Nobody wants to be rejected when they tell somebody about God, what God's done for you. I'm afraid my friends might not like me if I tell them about God. I'd rather lose a friend trying to save them. Then try to save some friends and watch them go to hell. A good friend's not somebody that comes and says, let me help you fix your car. A good friend's not somebody that says, let me tell you, if you ever have a need, I'll keep your child for you so you can go somewhere. A good friend is not somebody who says, let me go fishing with you. you know, we'll, we can catch some fish and we can fry them up after the fishing trip. A good friend is not somebody who says something, amen, like, hey, we've got some things in common. We must be friends. A good friend is somebody who tells you about the only thing that can help you escape hell. That's a good friend. That is the best friend that you can have. Do you think that on Judgment Day that your good friend is going to be thanking you for loaning them your lawnmower? You think standing with the multitudes before Almighty God, your good friend is going to say, oh, and by the way, thank, thank Bob back there for uh, helping me do my homework. Oh, thank Susie over there. She kept my kids for me while I was busy and needed to run to the mall. Oh, what a good friend they are. No. On Judgment Day. If you ever told them about your Savior and they came to the house of God to see for themselves and God filled them with the Holy Ghost, the only thing that's going to come out of their mouth is thank you, Jesus, for sending Mike to me, for sending Bob to me, for sending Mary my way. Thank you for telling me this truth. If you are ashamed of this, 
You don't deserve this. In fact, Paul settled it. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is... Why did he say it's the power? Because it's the part of witnessing that we struggle with so much that we feel ashamed of. He says, I'm not ashamed of the power. Because it's the power of God to salvation in my life. Amen. We were put here to hate sin and love sinners. Not to judge people the way they look. Stop doing that. I don't care if they don't meet your criteria of, of, of what a, 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 a decent human is. Let me tell you, Jesus on purpose picked a lot that weren't decent humans. God baptized us with the spirit of giving what we have gloriously been given. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Matthew 13, verse 44. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure in a field, which when a man hath found it, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. When he found his treasure, he sold everything to obtain it. Everybody say he sold out. Then Jesus said in verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. When he found one pearl of great price, went out and sold all that he had and he bought it. When he found that pearl of great price... He sold everything he had so he could obtain that pearl. Everybody say he sold out. Why are we holding on to things that are worthless when the greatest treasure is right here in our midst? I believe in the next five years, this church is going to double in attendance. Why are we going to hold on to worthless things when God is waiting to multiply in our midst? Amen. The promises and the prophecies. I could probably sit here all night long and hear from your pastor and this congregation of what God has spoken over this city and this group, this beautiful church group. We've got to sell out. There's a greater treasure waiting on this church. Amen. Tonight and our district. Praise God. And then in verse 47, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net. And that's cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Now, I used to go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, saltwater fishing. And sometimes we'd stop on a little side canal that came, that tributary that ran into the Gulf. And we had these things. Anybody ever heard of a cast net? A cast net, you, 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 it's, it's, it, they're different sizes, six foot across, just a round net, has weights all the way around the outside and a rope that runs down to the middle, and you cast that net out. There's some six-footers, ten-footers, twelve-footers, then they got the real expert ones really big. could be a 16-foot cast net. These are huge and have to be very good to cast these things out. And when you throw that net out there, you let it sink to the bottom, then you pull the rope, and it closes the bottom of the net. So you capture everything that the net fell on top of. And so I used to cast that net out there and never knew what you would pull in. Never knew. Sometimes there'd be an old hard-head catfish. That's what we call them down there, the saltwater catfish. They're, they're hard-headed. I mean, you can hit them on the head with a hammer. They're just hard. It's nothing but bone. Sometimes there's a jellyfish in there. Sometimes a crab. 
But I didn't stop throwing the net just because it's got a little, little uh, trash fish in there, things that shouldn't be in my net. No, I just pick out what's good and I throw back what's not good. And it's the same way when you throw out a net in witnessing. Sometimes you get a hard head. Can I get a witness? Can I tell you some of you were hard heads? Hold on a second. Test. Yeah, it's working. I thought it was working. You know, sometimes you get a jellyfish that'll sting you. Walk away offended, hurt, broken down because somebody stung you. Sometimes you get a hold of a crab. Pinches you. Don't want anybody else around. Just And you get that when you go to witnessing because... We don't choose whom we witness to. The person that is planted where you work is planted there for you to witness to. Why do you think you're working there? Surely you didn't think it was the paycheck. Sure you didn't think it was the parking place. And then surely you didn't think it was your education. Because that's what the adversary would love for us to think. That our lives move because of our abilities and our talents and what we're able to accomplish. Let me tell you something. God, in spite of your accomplishments or your lack of qualifications, will put you right where He wants you. He'll put you at a high place and you have no reason to be there. You have no qualifications to be there. And then He'll have three degrees. You'll have certificates covering your bathroom wall. And He'll put you in some place making minimum wage. And you're going, why am I here? Because you're dying out to self. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. It's about the purpose. It's about the power. He's put you in line to cross somebody's path that's fallen by the wayside. And they need a Samaritan spirit. To pick them up and to heal their wounds and to, to pay their way for a short time and to say, take care of them, church. Here they come. We're going we're gonna to bless them. We're going to see God do mighty works in their lives. Amen. So you just keep casting the net. You don't know what you're going to get because it's not up to you and it's not up to me. Amen. There's something else about pulling that net in. It's messy. You can tell where people have been cast netting because there is debris all over the ground. They pull that cast net in and they dump everything on the ground and there's beer cans, there, there's glass, there's broken bottles, there's dead uh, trash fish because they didn't put them back in the water. I mean, it's a smell. It's messy. You know, along with the catfish and the crabs and the jellyfish and the shrimp, there's a lot of mud. All of that is, it's just a mess. And when we dump the nets of witnessing in the church, we're going to see a mess. I, I'm bothered when I go to a church, and we go to a lot. I'm bothered when I walk into a church and, and I don't see a mess. You can cover some mess, but there's just some mess we can see. We can see you ain't got it all together, but you know what's okay. We're glad you're here. 
Praise God. Amen. You're trying to fit in and trying to look like you've been here a long time, but sometimes it takes some time. And we don't mind that at all. I remember one time our church was was growing. We just started a bus ministry, and, and uh, we had a building that's just a little bit bigger than this, and, and we were packing people in there, and we were so excited. The bus ministry, we, we went to the, 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 the police, said it was the toughest neighborhood in our entire city. The police patrolled there. They were assigned to patrol there just in that neighborhood. Shootings all the time, uh, high murder rate, all that stuff. And so I was in the middle aisle, and, uh, and the kids on the bus, they would we'd pick them up. Our, our workers would have to go into their homes many times, and the parents would be drunk or on drugs, and they'd, click, they'd fix the kids' breakfast in their own kitchens and, 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 and then fix, dress them up and then put them on the bus, and we'd take them to church. And... Uh, uh, those precious kids, I would run out there, and when they'd get off the bus, I would stand there and hug every one of them. I mean, they didn't smell well. They, their hair was never combed. Uh, just it, it, And anybody else probably would have counted them as worthy to be picked up and taken to a church. But I would stand outside and hug every one of them. I remember one time, there was a little boy coming down the steps of the bus, and he looked up at me, and he turned around to the bus driver and says, is that God? <laughs> they didn't know any better. They didn't know anything. I remember after church, uh, the kids the kids would get out of church in the other building, and then they would run out to the bus and get on the bus and leave. And I remember I was in the sanctuary, and for some reason they were not directed outside, but they come running through the middle doors right down the center aisle of the church. And I was standing there speaking to a brand new member that transferred from another church that was uh, 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 that was leaving the fellowship or something, and and they were coming in, and and we were so excited to get them, and they were good tithe payers, and we were a small church, and tithe payers, boy, that helps a small church really well. Many times we're not counting uh, how many people in the sanctuary; we're counting how many tithe payers are going to help us make the bills this month, and. And I was standing there talking to this very dignified man, and his family just moved here, and he was talking to me. And, and here come these kids right down the middle aisle. They, and they stepped all over his feet. They come and hugged me, and I was hugging on them. And uh, I said, y'all, y'all, y'all go back to your bus. The bus is down that way. And so they all run back down, and, and I just love those kids. Well, this man, they stepped on his feet, and he, he, he caught his breath for just a moment. And uh, and then he looked at me and he says, Pastor, if those kids continue to come here, I'm not coming here. Now, now you've got a decision to make. Do you want to pick up a bunch of little kids that are the riffraff of the city? In fact, many times they would have gang wars on our bus. We made a mistake of picking up two different neighborhoods on the same bus. Bad decision. One pulled his belt off and was beating our bus driver. I mean, that's the kind of kids we were picking up. And I could understand the feeling of this man in the flesh, but I could not understand the feeling in the spirit because it's not my church. And so I, I just hugged him. That's how I make it through troubled people. I, I just hug him. Smile at them and tell them I love them. I don't try to talk them out of nothing. I don't try to 
do it. I just grab them and hug them real good. And I've got a good bear hug. I could bear hug you real good, and then I look you in the eye and I say, I love you. I hope that's not the decision you make. Well, he turned around, and then they were gone. Never saw him back in the church for many years. Now, he passed away, and the wife came back. But uh, you have a decision to make. You know, what, what is this about? I'd rather have a broken bank account and people going to the king, into the kingdom of God. We've got to realize what this is about. Amen. Amen. There's something about the mess that throwing out nets causes. I can tell, tell when a house has no kids. Oh, yeah, I've been to these, visit these people's house have no kids. You know, I can tell when I walk into a house where there's lots of kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. No matter how much mama picks up, the toys are right back out there. I don't care. And I mean, they don't just take one out at a time and then put it back and get another one. You know how kids are? Am I talking to anybody who has some kids? Who babysits some kids? Who has some grandkids? They will take the whole basket of toys. And if that wasn't fun, they'll go get a box of them and put over here. And then the thing is, they don't like to put them up. You know, I can tell when a house has kids and when a house doesn't have kids. Because a house is messy that has kids. And wherever there are new souls, I'm telling you, it's going to be a little messy. And I would, I would tell the, the saints of God here, don't ever get tired of the mess. Amen. It just says you're healthy. It just says that the kingdom of God is healthy in this local assembly. Amen. Where people are coming in and they may not have it all together. They may not have all the things they need to to get over everything that they're facing. But just give them a little time. They might be the preacher in this house. They might be the ones that are going to mission fields. They might be the ones, praise God, that accomplish things in the kingdom of God. Wherever there's new people, there's, there's not go, it's not going to look like you all the time and act like you and smell like you. But Jesus said, such is the kingdom of God. Along with the attorneys and the doctors, we're going to get the harlots and the druggies and, the, and all of the alcoholics. And when you die on a cross, then you know what? You can choose who you want to save. But you didn't do it. Amen. Jesus died on the cross. And he says, for God so loved the world. The world. The world. The good, the bad, the druggy, the adulterous, the thief. Please don't dare turn a nose up to them because that could have been you. Amen. If it weren't for the grace of God. You need to get back to the joy and the thrill of giving. Amen. What you have been given. Praise God. And lastly, the third reason we don't witness is because we decide for the sinner whether they want to be saved or not. Instead of letting them decide for themselves. No, I don't think God will save them because he's drunk. Or God's not going to save him because he smokes dope. Or no, God, God won't save her because, you know, she could never look like one of us. Years ago when I adopted a church, I, got, I really got tired. I grew tired of seeing a small church every couple of years, a pastor come in and, and be voted in and then stay for a couple of years, work a full-time job and try to pastor. And then he 
he would just get discouraged and he would leave. I watched that process with this this church in our area, and I asked the church and the presbyter if I could adopt that church. I said, "We're we're a mother church, and we could take care of that church." And so we did. And it's a and it was churches about probably 20 miles from us. So every Tuesday night for one year, Karen and I would drive over there and we'd preach and sing and many of our members would come over and they had a sanctuary and we would fill that sanctuary. We invited kids from all over the city. Uh, I remember one Tuesday night, I mean, we would have as many as 50, 50 teenagers from the city. We'd go pick them up in vans, multiple trips, and bring them to the church. And I remember on a, a Tuesday night that I, I had a message I felt like I wanted all the teenagers to hear. So I asked them to come in to the sanctuary. And, and uh, I'll never forget uh, when I gave an altar call. All of those teenagers standing in that altar with their hands lifted, many of them praying for the very first time in their lives. And I'll never forget, as I went from one to the other praying with them, what some of these teenagers in those, that altar was praying about. You know, they, they weren't asking God for new cars. They weren't asking God for new clothes. They were asking God to deliver them from crack cocaine. They were asking God to deliver them from marijuana. Stop looking at the outside and realize that inside everyone is a soul that needs a Savior, that needs God in their lives. A hospital visitor saw a nurse tending to the sores of a leprosy patient and said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And the nurse answered, neither would I, but I'd do it for Jesus for nothing. That's what's giving. That's what giving what you've been given is all about. Amen. We don't do this because we're waiting for some big reward and, and God's going to let that mortgage be paid off and God's going to give us a new car. Let me tell you, we don't do it for that. We do this because it pleases Him. We tell others because it's what God has empowered us to do. We, we tell others. We spend time with others. We take others out to eat. We, we tell others about how God has saved us and changed us. And we pray with others, amen, because we know that it pleases God. And pleasing God is worth it all. That's what this is all about. It's about pleasing Him. It's about saying to Jesus, Lord, what You've done for me, I can never repay You. But He says, if You'll just give it to somebody else, Amen. That's what God has empowered our lives to do because He's done so much for me. How could I ever choose not to do that for Him? Praise God. Would you stand with me tonight? In the name of Jesus. 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 Would you just make a fresh commitment to Him tonight? You know, we have a Sister Virgie in our church, and usually older people don't think that they can be used anymore because they're, they're, they're not as mobile as they used to be, and maybe some don't even drive anymore. But we've got a Sister Virgie. She's 80-something years old, and, and uh, she's won just as many people uh, to the Lord, amen, as anybody in our entire church. She teaches Bible studies. She'll do it on the phone or she'll invite somebody to her house. And, and we've got people, even leaders in our church that have came, come from this, this elderly lady that just says, I'm going to win souls unto the Lord. You never know 
Amen. What God is going to do in your life. You never know what God is going to do through you. Telling one person could be the next Apostle Paul. Telling one person could be the next fire chief. Could be the next police chief. The next governor of this state. You never know who you, whom you're telling and what you're saying. Amen. To somebody. And that's not just anybody. It's a soul that God has positioned uh, strategically in your life. That, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. That's how our churches grow. Amen. It's not when we get satisfied and we get all about us and we join the Churches About Me Club. It's when we say, my life is all about the purpose He placed in me. And that's telling others what He's done for me. It's giving out what I've been given. Well, would you lift your hands? Would you tell the Lord tonight? I've always made fresh commitments to Him. It helps me. And I want to tell you tonight, Lord, I commit myself Amen. One more time to the, the furtherance of your gospel. I witness, amen, the beautiful things you've done in my life. I will witness to those you place in my life. If it's somebody at the restaurant, if it's somebody near my life, if it's at work, on the job, at school, wherever you say, God, wherever you bring them to me, wherever you place me, if it's at the grocery store, if it's at Walmart, wherever it may be, God. I know you're going to do something through me because I've got too much in me. I've got something so valuable, so precious. It could change a life. It could change a a future. It could change the destiny of generations to come in one person's life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Use me tonight, God. Use me tonight, God. Come on, somebody. Would you just tell him how long has it been since you told him? Just use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. I position myself. I position myself tonight to be used. Use me, Lord. Use me. I've never taught a Bible study, but Lord, you'd never been to a cross. I'm willing. I'm willing. Use me. Use me. Use me, Jesus. God's going to turn this church upside down, but it's going to be people that have prayed that prayer, that have committed their lives to Him, committed their hearts. They said, I want to be a part of the greatest purpose. I'm tired of just watching. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines and saying it needs to be done. I need to be what God's called me to be. I believe, the, I believe the greatest Bible study teacher still hadn't taught one Bible study. I really do believe that. I believe this, the greatest soul winner amongst us, amongst us. I believe they really haven't witnessed to one person yet. I believe that. I believe God is raising up in the last days people in this 11th hour that will do marvelous, wondrous exploits because they realize where the power of His presence is. It's not in just me. It's about the purpose. When you involve yourself in the purpose, the power begins to flow through your life. And I'm telling you, if you want your children saved, try to help somebody else get theirs saved. If you want to see your parents saved, why don't you go after somebody else's parents? If you want to see somebody else's co-workers saved, why don't you go after theirs? If you want to see your co-workers saved, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
You talk about healing power. I believe miracles flowed through the early church because they were witnesses. The power flows through a witness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let a fresh touch fill this room right now. Let a fresh presence of God flood our souls. A fresh commitment to You, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'll go where You send me. I'll talk to the ones You tell me to talk to. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Precious Father, sweep over our soul. Sweep over our soul. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. One time, would you lift your hands and let your voice out for just a moment? That's it. Let your voice out. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What a, what a calling. What a high purpose. What a powerful purpose. What a destiny God has placed you in. What a church He has made you a part of. The power that flows through His kingdom is immeasurable when you began to use that purpose in your life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Precious Lord. Praise God. Would you just grab your neighbor's hand and lift it up? Would you do that? Would you pray a prayer of faith for them? That any hindrance, anything that would hinder them, anything that would come against them, amen, that you would pray right now, God would form a hedge of protection around them that would let their voice be heard, that would let their ministries go forth, that would let their gifts be used, amen, for the advancement of the kingdom. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that's it, Lord. Loose my brother, loose my sister, loose them in the name of Jesus, that in these last days we can see that great outpouring of Your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, Lord, You have Your way right now. Lord, have Your way right now in their lives. You know all of their needs. You know all of our needs. In the name of Jesus, have Your divine way. Let Your presence fill this house and fill our lives. Let that fulfilling presence move through our lives tonight. Let it fill us with great purpose and power.
Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, oh God. Blessed be your name. There is none like you, oh God. Oh, we want to do your will, Lord. Oh, we want to be used of you, Lord God. Oh God, we make a fresh commitment, Lord. Lord, into thine hands we command ourselves. We command our heart, our spirit, Lord, that you may do whatever you please in us and through us. Oh God, use us, Lord Jesus. We want to please you. We want to please you. You've entrusted us with a whole lot, Lord. Now, God, we want to give what we've been given. We want to give what we've been given. Help us, Lord God, that as we go from this place tonight, oh God, we will not be ashamed, Lord Jesus, but God, we will go in the power of your might. We will go, Lord Jesus, ready, Lord God, Lord, to give what you've entrusted in us, Lord God. Lord, move on us and there will be a passion, Lord God, or compassion will stir, and Lord, we can't rest, Lord God, when we see people that don't know who you are, and we can't be content, Lord God, when we see souls who are lost, whether it's on our job, or in school, in our neighborhoods, oh God, help us to not rest, Lord.